Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths... Having got the goal, goes again! Welcome along to the Hamden Roar, Andy Webster. Looking forward to having a dig through your international days. It all started with Bertie Volks back in the early 2000s and lasted a decade, which is quite a significant stretch for international football. So, so welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me along. No, no, no problem. My pleasure. Well, uh, let's talk. Start with your your childhood um, supporting Scotland. I assume uh, was that something that was was on your mind quite a lot as a as a young football fan, were you quite involved with supporting the national team? Yeah, I distinctly remember having the, I think it was the Euro 96 tartan kit. Um, I distinctly remember having that when I was younger. Um, probably slightly unusual to what's been before in terms of kits and what's been since. But yeah, um, and, and the sort of salmon pink um, away strip as well back in the day. So yeah, definitely. I think it's probably part of your DNA when you're, you're Scottish that it's... Um, yeah, supporting your your national team. You uh, were were you always a defender growing up, and did you admire anyone in particular in the, the Scotland team that was maybe in your position, or were you more enamoured with the uh, attacking players? Yeah, well, I think up until it's probably 15, 16 playing in the youth team at Abroth, I used to play midfield. So the older I got, the further back in position I, I got. Um, so we played a. A sort of BP Youth Cup match up in Aberdeen. The centre back who was playing that night dislocated his collarbone. So the Aberdeen Youth Team manager Ray McWalter shouted on to me, "Baby, go and play centre half." And I'm like, "Me?" I was like, "Nah, no thanks." <laughs> um, so it wasn't. Until I was probably just before I was 16. I actually became a centre back. So didn't think there was any glamour to be had in playing in that position, but it just just shows you how these things materialise and work out. <laughs> so I suppose the it would have been maybe. The, 
that position for Scotland, Colin Hendry and uh, Colin Calder, maybe even Tom Boyd, I suppose, at, at some point that will have been the centre-halves that you'll look up to? Yeah, I think distinctly remember Colin Hendry being one, I think, probably more so to do with the blonde hair and his, his uh, sort of appetite for defending. You, you can just see that he absolutely loved it. Um, and also got his got his nickname off the back of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, yeah these are the kind of players you look to when you're younger, um, especially when they're playing at a top level. When you're coming through at our growth, is it a? It's, it's, of course, you dream about playing for Scotland, but was it a realistic ambition for you at that point? I always wanted to be a professional football player. I never really shouted too much about it. Kind of. I wanted to keep myself to myself and just go on with things. So obviously made sure I'd finished school, had enough to go to university if I so wished. But I think when you're a sort of part-time, which would have been then probably second division team, or both, it probably seems a distant, off in the distance about being able to sort of gain international recognition. So I think you just focus on the short term, but then obviously loved playing for our both. It's my local team, played with some great players there and thoroughly enjoyed it probably. Up there were one of the highlights of my football career um, so no, I think back then you just you just kind of take it as it comes on a sort of match by match or whatever it may be so I think these things are for, further down the line Well it wasn't a prospect all too distant in the future because when, when Verte Volts came in uh, replacing Craig Brown in 2002 you got a call up the very next year so that would only have been three or four years after we're talking and you'd been at Hearts at this point for a couple of seasons so did that call up come as a surprise to you? I think going from Arbroath to Hearts, and I think it was probably within a two-year period, there or thereabouts, that um, ended up getting involved in the Scotland squad. As you say, probably circumstances dictated a little bit, change of, change of direction, change of coach. Um, people probably would have said a lot of the kind of older, more experienced players, kind of them bowing out and sort of younger players coming through. So I was in a fortunate position um, to get that opportunity, which... You kind of have to be a luck. Luck probably plays quite a large part in these types of things. But there were certainly plenty of of youngsters, or maybe not necessarily even young, but inexperienced players at international level being given the opportunity at that point. You'd only been at Hearts, who are considerably sized club in Scotland, for um, two seasons maximum. So did you feel ready to take on that sort of challenge or responsibility by that stage for the national team? I think it's, you always have aspirations of that. You, everybody will tell you, you have to make sure your club form's right. Um, obviously, I had a sort of stable partnership at the back with Elvis, which probably helped me in terms of my development. So that consistency helps lead. And I think one of the things you find with being a centre-back, you have to you have to be consistent. It's an area of the pitch where people need to be able to depend on you as well. So I think from an early age, I'd always had that. People will say maturity beyond your years, a wise head on young shoulders and stuff. People would generally describe me in that way. I never really thought too much about how old I was in terms of age. Just thought about where I was in, in my football um, career. When you heard, you might not be able to pinpoint this moment. I'm not asking you to recall exactly where you were, but do you remember feeling excited at all by the prospect of 30 votes coming into Manny Scotland? Because it was really the ending of one era and the beginning of a new one. And I'm sure you knew that, you know, if I keep doing what I'm good at at Hearts, an opportunity might come along here. 
Yeah, I think you always you always have these aspirations in the back of your your mind. Whether I can distinctly remember one incident where I thought, "Well, this is my opportunity," I always felt just controlling what I could control and making sure that my performances at Hearts were at a level. Um, and you always kind of hope whether that's you seek recognition at international level or from other football clubs or whatever it may be. You just want to perform at a consistent level and do well ultimately for the club you're at. You got your debut um, at home to Austria um, towards the end of season 02-03. We that game didn't end well for Scotland. We were beaten 2-0. What can you recall, though, uh, in terms of specifics? It must have been a very proud occasion. Yeah, I think, I'm sure it was a midweek game as well. It might have been the Tuesday night, um, playing at Hamden as well. But just remember playing with people like Paul Lambert, which... You know, when you think about in terms of age and how young I was and how old he was as well, you just, when you see these people, I'm sure Craig Burley was involved as well at that time. So to see these people that you've seen on the TV, had unbelievable success, played at the highest level, won all sorts of trophies, and you're kind of, seems a bit surreal that you're kind of mingling in amongst these people um, and being part of something. And also, I remember from the Austrian point of view as well that, Thomas Flogel, he played for them on that night, um, who was obviously a colleague of mine at heart. So, no, I do remember the game and I do remember us losing 2-0, but I think it's probably quite acceptable when you make your international debut, you're just happy to kind of be there and be involved and playing stuff. I know it was a friendly match and it's not the be-all and end-all. So, no, again, in that first cap was, you know, was hugely satisfying for me. I think that... Especially at that age, it wasn't just a, an international debut for you. You were you were only what, 22, maybe 23 at that point. So it's not like you were a late addition to the international setup. You're having to deal with um, sort of a new environment. You're still relatively young in your career. Some players, it's, it's sink or swim. Some are able to handle the new responsibility. Some players aren't. Where do you feel that you fell on that scale? Yeah, I think regarding that as well, I think I'd made my international debut the week after I turned 21. So in terms of age, as I said to you previously, it's yes, I was really young, but in terms of how I seen myself or how other people maybe viewed me as well, I thought for me it just seemed like a natural progression in terms of you're doing well, you get an opportunity internationally. Well, I didn't think, and the good thing about being young as well, you don't really tend to think, you just kind of do um, rather than worrying about too much as maybe been before or whatever else. So I think as I say, just that opportunity to get involved at international level, which we all dream of as uh, as young boys growing up. So no, I think for me, I'd shown a level of consistency over a period of time. And your own, your own career is your own career in terms of people develop in different ways. I'd not come through probably the traditional way of playing at a, a, being in an academy and going through the pathway there. I'd obviously played part-time football and slightly different and maybe slightly unusual, but that was normal to me. So, as I say, to get that, to get the opportunity to play international football within sort of two years ago in full time, was people from the outside would have went, "Wow, that's unbelievable!" But for me, it was just that was what I was that's what I was doing at that time. Cap number three was against Germany. Uh, the one-one draw against Germany at Hamden, and they'd only been in the World Cup final less than a year previously. Talk us through that. Yeah, I distinctly remember playing against Freddie Bobic, um, the striker at the time. And that's probably my well, one piece of like Scotland memorabilia that I do have framed in the garage. Um, um, I can't remember, I think it was the number 10 I'd swapped shirts with. So I've got my shirt, 
his shirt and my Scotland cap because obviously I think when you play international friendlies you only get like parents and stuff whereas that was my first proper international cap so I think playing in these types of qualification games against a top top nation as well when you arrive at Hamden you can feel the build up outside when you're on the team bus driving in the fans are already there you go out for the warm-up there's the sort of murmurings of a big atmosphere starting to build as well and then you get the bit where you walk out before the game and it's it's unbelievable the feeling you get and the sense of pride you get when you walk out of a full Hamden when you know there's something at stake which as I say you can't you can't replicate these things elsewhere in life I'm afraid. It, those are the occasions I suppose that that you work for and you build towards as a youngster when does it sink in for you that you're you're part of it? I think it's it might sound a bit obvious but it's it's your job do you know that's what you're employed to do you're as much as I'm sure everybody being professional footballers you're getting paid to do your hobby it's something that you love and you aspire to do and you just for me I always just want it I like the I like the competitiveness of playing football against whether it's training on a daily basis and small sided games or at the weekends or just testing myself against a higher level opposition never don't get me wrong there we've been Many an occasion where the opposition would have been better than me, but I just I like I love the the, the the challenge of it all and to play against a top nation like Germany and, and only my third cap to get that opportunity was great. Just as I say, no real fear, no real worries about anything. Just go out and perform and, and do your best. Well, they, they they were a obviously a very strong team. Players like Balak and Torsten Frings, we just left close and Bobic, as you said, out there. How do you, how does Scotland approach that game as the underdog, and why do you think Scotland always seem to perform better against that level of player? I think it's probably a handful of things, expectations, and I always feel with the national team there's always high expectations, and rightly so. I think for me the confidence always came when being within the squad, looking at the caliber caliber of players that we had, how even. Even during like team talks and Bertie votes, um, always felt confident going in every match. Never was there any doubt in my head thinking, "Oh, we're, we're going to get beat." Or always felt, "No, but there's an opportunity for whether it was my naiveness or whatever else it may be." I always felt hey, we've got we've got an opportunity to win. Um, so I always felt when you play with quality players as well, you, it gives you that sense of confidence that you've, you're surrounded by real quality. So I think, as I say, I always felt that. And going in against the bigger nations, well, people, I think from within, you expect a lot from yourself in, in the group, but people out with that environment, they probably just tend to go, it's a foregone conclusion that Scotland will get beaten. If there's one thing we're good at as a nation is competing, you know, the sort of underdog mentality. So I think it's always that challenge you, you, you relish. How did you find Bertie Volks? There were certainly... Um, curiosity when he was appointed, a, a bit of excitement. You know, here we go, someone that's won major trophies um, with his home nation, Germany. How did you uh, adapt to being part of his international setup, and what was your personal relationship like with him? I think the easy thing for me is because I'd never been involved in an international setup before, I hadn't experienced anything previously. So when I went into that environment, it became the norm um, for me in the manner in which. The manager worked, the players worked, the coaching staff worked as well. And I know, obviously, Bertie came in for a lot of criticism because there was a big turnover of players and opportunities for players that people maybe perceive as 
shouldn't have had opportunities and what but he was in a, a really difficult position because it was a huge hugely transitional period for the for the national team as well so I think he probably had to sift through quite a lot of players to get to a level where maybe further down the line maybe future managers or coaches got that opportunity for more established players to perform at a better level as well so I think he probably had to go through that process but in terms of my relationship with him really enjoyed it and obviously people touched on how he, uh, his English was limited but he, he, he definitely had enough um, English about him and you have an understanding of football as well so he would always uh, come up with little sort of quirky bits that you would go right this is uh, yes understand what he means. Yeah, well you certainly became a regular pick under him you were heavily involved you were up against other players that were starting to get more of an opportunity, um, Gary Caldwell or Lee Wilkie, Morris Ross and Stockdale as well. Did you feel that you are, you know, putting up a pretty good challenge uh, against those guys trying to fit, uh, trying to keep your place? Yeah, and I think that's when you get to international level, you expect competition for places and you ultimately just have to do your best. Probably myself and Gaz came through at a same, similar period. Um, both remember us kind of playing under 21s. Um, and then going away with the national, like the full squad after, things like that. So probably came through at a very similar time, but you have to expect that. And if you want you want to you want to play at the highest level, then you, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna play in an environment where the standards are not that great. So ultimately you just go in and, and do what you can do. And we're all in the same boat as well. We ultimately want the same thing. We all want to be part of a successful international team. Um, sometimes you, you're involved in that and, and sometimes you're, you're a sort of a bit of a bystander but yeah I think that's that's part of the environment There were a few tough losses under Bertie Volks mind you the Wales hammered us Hungary beat us at home and so did Norway we had a tough tough loss to Sweden uh, did you get the impression that that maybe things weren't going to work out long term? I think the one the one defining thing I can remember was when we were in Moldova, um, which wasn't a great trip anyway. I think the Moldova as a country in itself, the hotel, you know, people were having things stolen off the dinner table when people tidying up and whatever else. So I think I distinctly remember after that game as well, walking back to the changing room, obviously the fans weren't happy with what, I think we'd ended up drawing one all, which isn't a great result in any way, shape or form. And rightly so, the fans were, were not best pleased regarding that. And I think the manager took quite a lot of brunt of that. And uh, even travelling back to the airport, we uh, walked through the airport and the fans had gathered to voice their displeasure. And I think the manager got the brunt of that as well. Um, so I think you can always you always get that feeling when things like these or things like that start to happen as well. And one of the best pieces of advice I've ever got was on the airport sort of transport bus from the airport to the, the plane, Tommy Bond says never get too high and never get too low and I was like yes, because these are difficult times for everybody, so I think yeah when you when you start to get that and um, and the displeasure from the fans you know that things aren't great But there was a very strange game, um, I suppose the result stands but it was uh, abandoned the, the game in Spain, 1-1 and um, can you that, that must be one of the more strange scenarios of your career. Was it was it because I'm, I'm wrong in saying this? Is it because there was a bomb threat around the stadium? I think um, I think the floodlights failed. I think I think Stevie Crawford scored, and we actually had I wouldn't say loads, but we had a, a handful of opportunities where we could have scored more than one goal. 
Um, and I think even after that, the boys had joked because we were doing so well, we'd ask one of the members of the Scotland staff to switch the floodlights off so that we could uh, <laughs> escape, with a, escape with a draw rather than anything else. But no, I think even regarding that night as well, Spain had an unbelievable team out. Um, if I remember rightly, I'm sure like people like Puyol played, Morientes, I think Torres made, he was playing, Raul played, you know, that level of calibre. And this is probably touching on the Germany game as well. There's one thing we're good at as a nation is when our backs are up against the wall, we can uh, we can certainly compete with these teams. And uh, as I say, on a, on, a, on a different night, we could have scored more than one goal. I, th- I, th- I think I'm confusing the, the bomb scare thing with a, an incident at a Real Madrid game rather than in a Spain game. I, I, I don't know where I, I got that confusing from. Um, so it's just as simple as a floodlight failure. But yeah, yeah, they, they definitely had a, a strong team out that night. And you can see from our team that it was very much transitional. Craig Gordon would have been very young coming in. They had you and Gary Caldwell were there. Nigel Quasi didn't have too many caps. Darren Fletcher was still young. I suppose we look at the Spain team, gosh, right? So they've got Puyol, uh, Alonso, Joaquin Torres, Antonio Reyes, and then Raul and Morientes as well. Yeah, I mean, that's those are the sort of players that you, you want to be testing yourself against at international level. Yeah, no, that's a choice. <laughs> One of the probably the good things about being a centre-back, you generally tend to play against the best opposition, you know, because we all love the goal scorers and the strikers and stuff. So you, as much as it's maybe not the most glamorous of positions you do to get to test yourself against the world's best. So I think, especially on that evening, you know when you're playing up against people like Raul, you just, they're at a totally different level. And this is the one thing for me I would have loved and enjoyed, knowing that I would have been a million miles away from that level, but just loved competing. You know, I just see how close or you could get to somebody of, of that calibre. So yeah, probably not overly close, but yeah, just that test. Yeah. In amongst this time, you had a couple of outings with the, the Scotland B squad. That's not a concept that's that's all too um, regular these days. I don't think it exists uh, in most of, most countries in Europe. Talk us through that situation and, and what it's like going away, um, not quite with the elite, but with the second best. I suppose is the is the way you could you could put it. Yeah, I think when I initially started, there was a future squad. I'm sure that was introduced maybe under Barry votes, and I, I remember playing away in Turkey. And a future squad probably gives you the impression of being younger players. I'm sure like people like Nigel Quasi and stuff played in that game as well. So that, that was probably my first real taste of international football. I think it's probably the B side of it. I, also, I remember, I'm sure we played Northern Ireland at Broadwood Stadium in a game um, when George Burley was a manager as well and hadn't played football for a period. So it was nice to get back involved. I'm actually, I think I might have notched that game as well, which is unusual. But um, yeah, I think it's probably... Probably like the reserve type scenario where you're trying to bridge the gap between having an understanding of what international football looks like, but not at, at the A level. So I think it's uh, and it's also an opportunity to maybe probably a bit similar to what Barry Votes did, maybe try players in an environment that's maybe slightly different to what they're used to, but to see how they how they cope and they understand it, and if there's like a a, a pathway there for them. It's very much a or back then anyway viewed as a, a worthwhile concept. Yeah, as I said, I think that giving people an opportunity, sometimes it's hard, and as we probably touched on that earlier as well, we, you're in at the deep end, you know, you either sink or you swim, which, you know, for some players, they thrive in that environment and some not. So it's trying to bridge that gap to see who can handle these scenarios and, and uh, maybe hopefully progress to the full squad after. You uh, 
you had made a couple of appearances um, in the Euro 2004 qualifiers, but didn't play in the playoff against Holland. Was that down to injury or were you simply not selected? No, I think I, I was ill. I'd had food poisoning to some description. I remember lying in my, in my bed at the Cameron House on the, maybe the Thursday, the Friday, and just going, I cannot move. Um, and then you watch the game at Hamden on the Saturday and you're like, I'd love to be involved in that. And then even obviously going over to Holland um, to the Amsterdam Arena off the back of that. And this is the thing as well, that rightly or wrongly, you go there with the expectations of qualifying. Um, and within 20 minutes, that was done and dusted. And that was a tough night um, for, for the players that evening. But just shows you the quality of opposition or the even the, the, the magnitude of the result on the Saturday when obviously Farid scored that goal. Um, to, to beat a nation like Holland at home was a great achievement. It just the hard bit in football is when you go away from home um, being able to compete in that environment. So some chef prevented you from playing in the, the playoff, is that right? Yeah, probably two, as I say, two ends of the spectrum. The one bit on the Saturday where you say yes, absolutely, and then the one bit on the on the Tuesday or the Wednesday evening going, that's a, that's a tough evening um, defensively, so yeah. Well, I, I, I doubt that there were there were heavy celebrations after the home game because obviously it was only halfway through the tie. But were you even too ill to that you were stricken on your bed and too unwell to to kind of appreciate the the moment and and what might have happened? Yeah, I think obviously under Bertie Fox as well. Even the night before the game, it was quite relaxed. He was we would. Uh, scenario with that would it was quite relaxed around the hotel um, and it always had been when I'd been involved and obviously still at that point as well where even the night before the game players were allowed to enjoy a beer or a wine you know like trying to relax the players because you know when it comes to sort of kick off you know what's at stake as well you don't need to motivate players you don't need to tell them the importance of it all they understood all that so even on the Saturday night as well I think the players understood the size of the achievement in terms of winning but obviously realising that if they thought the Saturday hard was hard at, at Hamden, then then obviously the, the Tuesday or the Wednesday night at the Amsterdam Arena was going to be doubly difficult. Yeah, and so so it proved. Was it Van Roy Hattrick, I believe? Yeah, I think yeah. I can distinctly remember looking up at the clock after about twenty minutes and going, oh, I think this might be over with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're there now. Um yeah, so when Bertie Volks left after the Moldova draw, d- did it feel like the right time for a change and maybe a, was there a sad acceptance that you know this hasn't worked out yeah well I think for any national team and up until recently as well it's all about qualifying for major tournaments so that's a level of expectation and rightly so from fans players any stakeholders involved at the SFA as well that they've had previous experiences of that and it was always the ambition to qualify and I think results determine everything in football people tell it all the time so I think if results are not going well, you can probably generally tend to expect um, what's coming next. And I think when, for myself personally, and I'm sure it's the same for other players as well, when when you're brought in and into the Scotland squad by a coach or a manager, there is there's a level of expectation there in terms of yourself and the relationships you build and. It's always, dif- always difficult, I found, as a footballer, when any coach or manager lost their job, you always feel that sense of responsibility that you've not not done your job properly and you've not done it well enough for these people to maintain their position. But as I say, it was a hugely transitional period under Bertie Votes and probably not something till maybe further down the line that it bared fruition. 
the uh, it's obviously an honour, I'm sure, to play for Scotland. But when you're going through tough times like that, do players ever dread going out with the Scotland jersey on? I don't know so much about dread, and I think that, as I say, if you're if you're part of that group and that collective, you, you have a sense of responsibility. So I know it's difficult. Diff- Difficult or different slightly now as well, but if you're if you're part of the problem, then you also have to be part of the solution as well. I think that's one key thing. If you're if you're not doing particularly well, and one thing I would have always said, but whether it's myself or my teammates, you put yourself out there um, because ultimately we all want to be successful for Scotland, um, whether that's individually or collectively as a group as well. So. I think you kind of have to take that off with a smooth. And if, if you've not done particularly well, the easy bit is to shy away from the next bit. So you have to face that adversity. And uh, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not pleasant. But I think these are the kind of things that you, you have to look back on. And I can say this openly as well. Never <clears throat> never did I ever pull out of a Scotland squad. Never did I go, no, I don't fancy this game. If I was fit and available and at a good level and I was picked, I was always there to go, I want to be involved. Um, I think that's true for, for every player I've across in an international setup. So Walter Smith came in. That must have been you know, a bit of reassurance, somebody with a, a reputation, somebody that can instill a bit of organisation and, and discipline into the, the team, make it maybe make us hard to beat. Yeah, and I think with the calibre the manager had and obviously bringing in the coaching staff he did, obviously Coystein, Tommy stayed on as well that I think I suppose it's like anything when you're Scottish and you either play for your national team or you, you're the part of the coaching staff it, it has huge meaning to you it's significant as well and I think that it was never lost on anybody the importance of it all I think one of the first things I remember from Walter Smith was saying in a, in a meeting at the Cameron House saying we need everybody to buy in if we've got 25-30 players involved in the squad regardless if you start you're on the bench or you're not stripped, we need the buy-in from everybody and we need that commitment from the very outset if we want to be successful. And I think everybody bought into that, and rightly so as well. You're, you're part of the collective. Now, whether that's starting or being part of the group or not stripped, you, you still you still have to be involved and give it everything you've got. Whether you're not playing, you need to push the guys in front of you and, and so on and so forth. So I think from that point, um, there was the buy-in from, from everybody. Because ultimately, we all wanted the same thing. We all wanted to be successful with the national team. Um, so, yeah, bringing in a manager that quality and calibre and experience as well was, yeah, was was beneficial to the group. What impressed you about Walter Smith as a manager? Because everybody speaks so highly of him. Yeah, I think it's not just everything about him. Is, and I get the fact when he was slightly younger, he might have had a slightly different approach to his management style and all that type of stuff. But I think the older... Older and the wiser, you just kind of knew, and it was the same, obviously, at club level as well. We, you didn't have to say too much. There'd be, like, certain looks, and you go, right, he's obviously not very happy with what's going on, and that was enough um, for the group as well. And obviously having people like Coystein and Tommy there as well, like, great characters first and foremost, but excellent coaches as well, and real passion for the national team. So I think that... In terms of the backroom staff, I'm sure that the manager used to say sometimes you'd have to look after the backroom staff a bit more than having to look after the, the players. Um, but like, where's Koisty? Like, well, he's away playing table tennis. You know, like, there's a, a meeting going on and stuff, which yeah. was great because it was a relaxed atmosphere. 
because I say, once you get to match day as well, you know the pressure's on. So I think you try and take that away as much as you possibly can. Um, and, and these these people that obviously Walter had brought in with them were, were outstanding characters and respected throughout the group. Had the experience of doing it at international level as well. And yeah, so no, I think it, it was a great time in terms of that side of it to be involved. The, we, we still had a crack at qualifying for the World Cup in 2006 when when Walter Smith came in and we, we drew against Italy at Hamden. It was another cracker, which I, I'm sure you can you can talk all day about. Um, and we beat Norway and Slovenia away from home. Those were great results. It was just the, the Belarus one at home that let us down. Do you remember um, towards the end of that campaign, um, before losing to Belarus, thinking, you know what, this we could maybe salvage this year? Yeah, I think probably there again, it's... Always, always felt, and probably up until recently as well, you always get close, but just never quite close enough just to bridge that gap. And it's always trying to break that mould. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of that, it was... I think because international football is so sporadic, you play a couple of games, then you miss a couple of months, and then you play a couple of games, and before you know it, obviously you're 18 months in a qualifying campaign, and you've only played maybe eight or ten games. So I think it's... It's always trying to refocus when it comes back around and it's always a short period of time when you're together as a group and sometimes the dynamics of the squad change because of certain things and sometimes it can be a lot more challenging than uh, maybe people sort of anticipate. But I think from that point of view as well, it was always the ambition um, to qualify for a major tournament. I just think sometimes when you get the good results or you feel like you're on the right path and then the wind just takes out your sail and you're like... We're back to kind of square one a little bit. So it's just trying to manage those expectations. Do you look back on the draw against Italy in almost exactly the same way that you reflect on the Germany draw? Yeah, and I think I remember a similar scenario in terms of the build-up to the match, the quality, the calibre of opposition we were playing against, taking the lead. I'm sure Kenny scored that day. Um, and we were holding on until about the 75th minute, going... Oh, and he starts he starts to look up at the clock a little bit, and you think we're not that far away. And then, sure as fate, something something happens, and you're like, "Oh, here we go!" And these are the kind of these are the kind of things that happen in football. Where you just think, on a different day or a slightly different opportunity, you might have beaten these these uh, types of opposition. But no, I think there again, it's a, it's another challenge against real quality. And obviously, they went on to win the World Cup in 2006. So we ultimately played against the future World Cup winners, and and the uh, more than held our own. That's uh, looking at the, the team, Totti and Christian Vieri up front with Pirlo and Gattuso in midfield, Cannavaro, Nesta. That's an, an incredible spine. It's it's just always peculiar to me that, that we have such a an unbelievable, or up until very recently, we have such an unbelievable mentality against these sort of nations that really should just come and roll us over. But time and time again, back then especially, that it didn't happen. No, and I, th- I think that's, I say, whether it's a, a, a mentality is a nation or a squad, it's that, for me personally, it's that competitiveness where you're competing against people who are way out of your league. Like the careers that they've had, the levels that they've played at, what they've won, whatever else it may be, you just bring me like, Right, okay, let's see let's see where I'm at today. Can I compete with such and such a player and get the better of them? If not, then then finding a way to try and impact and whatever else it may be. So I think that was always the thing that I really enjoyed the most, as much as it was really difficult and sometimes you get found out. You just that but we like, right, I'm playing against 
world-renowned um, attacking players. And yeah, and I think generally as a as a group, we probably would have had that mentality um, and always always kind of believing. And when you score first as well, like any any level of football, if you're the underdog and you score first, you've you've got something to hold on to as well. And that's that's I guess challenge just trying to get that first goal. Um, and then if you can hold on to it for a win or if something else happens and you score more goals, then great. So no, I think we the group generally relish these occasions. You scored your only goal for Scotland just at the end of that campaign. That was in a friendly against the United States of America. That must be a moment you hold close to your heart. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you say my one and only goal, but I think that just that bit where you've scored an international goal, it's something that you can kind of take with you um, throughout as well. And yeah, I remember that being a just... I can't remember who put the cross into the box, but heading the ball from quite a distance out, to be honest. And I'm sure, I think Casey Keller might have been the goalie for the United States that night. And they were at a high level as well. I'm sure they were ranked like fifth or something in the world at that period. So, yeah, yeah, to score is a great, a great thing to, uh, a great accolade to have and something I'm definitely proud of. Absolutely. So did you feel then at the end of that campaign, after we 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 run over Slovenia away from home. Three cracking goals, Hartley, Fletcher and McFadden. Did you get the impression that things were starting to to turn in our favour? That that, you know, maybe we could be on to a bit of something special here. Yeah, and momentum's crucial in football. And I think once you get these way, especially when you're away from home, regardless of the level of opposition you're playing at national level or any levels, it's really difficult going at a different environment, you know, playing a different culture, all that type of stuff as well can be slightly challenging. But so when you go, when you start to go away from home and you start to win quite convincingly, um, when you talk about that game as well, we won 3-0, that it, it does build confidence. And as I say, you need that confidence and the momentum to keep rolling on. As I say, because international football is every sort of two, three months, it's hard to keep that momentum up because sometimes circumstances out with um, change. But I think off the back of that, you know, the players would have been at a really good level and, and, and felt that they could um, go on and achieve something. You you played in the, the friendly against Switzerland at Hamden. We were beaten um, comfortably 3-1 that evening. That was in 2006. Now, you didn't feature at all under uh, Smith or McLeish in the 2008 qualifying campaign or under George Burley in the 2010 qualifying campaign. What was uh, the reasoning behind that? Because I know you had injury trouble as well. Yeah, probably first and foremost injuries um, for a period of time as well. And if you've been out for a period of time and you're trying to get back to a level, uh, it's difficult. I think obviously we've been at Rangers at the time as well. The level of player within the football club is at a really, really high level. Um, so for me, I was, I was kind of, I would, for want of a better phrase, a million miles away in terms of playing club football. So if you're not playing at club level, you're, there's absolutely no opportunity you're going to get to international level. And that was probably one of the furthest things from my mind at that period of time was just going, you just need to take these things sort of step by step and, and hopefully at some stage you get back to a level. Because I think when you fall in that far down the sort of pecking order or where you are in your football career, it can be quite quite a daunting prospect to think, well, can I get back? But that's always the incentive or the, the ambitions to go, well, I have been a, a good level in terms of playing international football and the challenge for me during that period of time was can I get back to that level and, and will I get back to that level? 
Was it tough watching Scotland come so close to success in the 2008 qualifying campaign and, and have these amazing nights against France and Ukraine and you weren't part of it? I think I think it's probably double-edged in terms of you want the nation to do well and because you've had the experience of that as well, you'd like to be part of that, but obviously circumstances during that period of time, um, it wasn't to be, but yes, we'd all... As a Scotland fan, we all want the, the team to qualify for a major tournament. So however that which way comes about, you know you know how much hard work and effort and sacrifice that players put in to get into that level as well. So if they if they went on to achieve it, then it would be a, a really proud moment, not just for the players, but the nation as a whole. When, when you were eventually recalled um, for a few matches in 2012 under Craig Levine, you must have been happy. How did that come about? Did he reach out to you and, and, and just say, look, I'm interested in, in you coming back? Or did you very much make it clear that you are trying to get back in the international setup? Yeah, I think, no. I mean, ultimately that season, I went on loan to Dundee United. Um, and he was a manager at the start of that as well. And obviously he'd been my manager previously at Hearts as well. So we had a, a relationship previously and obviously won at Dundee United during that season as well. He'd been offered the Scotland job, which... He obviously took and rightly so. It's an, a, an unbelievable opportunity for any coach or manager to be given that. So he took that and obviously I'd been playing at Dundee United. He'd obviously brought in like who stay onto the coaching staff as well. And yeah, I think one of the things for me was that the initial part of my Scotland career, I think I'd got to like 21 caps and I was desperate to get to 25. Um, and that was always at the back of my mind going, try and get to 25, try and get to 25. Um, so to get back involved under Craig Levine was... I think sometimes when you're a football player and you've had experiences of something and you, you just it becomes the norm for you, whereas obviously during the period I wasn't involved, you, you, you understand and you appreciate it a lot more. So when you get that opportunity to go back, um, it, it was definitely something I didn't take for granted. It was absolutely probably maybe even more so than making my debut like absolutely to get back involved, something I was desperate for and something that, yeah, it meant a lot to me. Is that just because it, it, you thought maybe it, those days had gone, you'd lost that and, and you were able to reclaim them? It was yeah, maybe more, un, more unexpected, whereas at the start of your career, maybe you felt like you were on the path to, to getting into the Scotland team where this, this return really wasn't on your radar. Yeah, I don't... I think it was on my radar, but I wouldn't have shouted too loudly about it. It would have been a personal goal of mine. I would never have been in the media saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But it was it was probably something that definitely motivated me to, to make sure I got back to level. And obviously that season at Dundee United, the team's exceptional. Finished third in the league and won the Scottish Cup for the, only the second time in their history as well. So the group at that time functioned at a really high level. And to be part of that, I must have been doing something right as well. So... I think in terms of that, I'd, I'd always had ambition to get back involved. It's just whether the opportunities come along. And that's, as I say, when the first time around you're on that path and you, you don't think too much about it because that's just what you're doing. Whereas when you have time out and you get time to sit and reflect, you appreciate it a little bit more. And so sometimes, as much as it was hugely disappointing to miss a chunk of it, to get back involved, probably the other end of that going, I really appreciate everything that I've got. Well, you were involved in our first two games of the... World Cup 2014 qualifiers. We, we were given quite a, a generous start to the group, to be honest, with two home games against Serbia and Macedonia, but we drew both of them and it, it felt like the campaign was was over at that stage. 
did the players realise that yeah that this is this is a mountain that we've got to overcome here? Yeah, I think I'm sure the Serbia game was on the Saturday as well. I distinctly remember it because I think it was my 25th cap as well, which was a huge honour for me and my family. Yeah, and I think home games you need to win. That's I think especially at the national level as well in the Macedonia. The Tuesday or the Wednesday night just it felt flat. Um, we didn't really build any momentum. It just seemed to be as if we didn't really have that cutting edge to us that night. And I think if you get two home games, you want to get off to a good positive start as well. Now, whether that's four points or ultimately ideally like six, but I think yeah, these things then become an uphill battle. You're then having to go away to places like that and win games of football, which is not beyond the Scotland national team, but it's 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 definitely more difficult. So those those uh, four caps you had under Craig Levine, you obviously enjoyed working with him. Was it a sad day for you when, when he moved on? Yeah, I think there again, like probably the better vote scenario, you have a relationship with people um, and ultimately results determine managers, coaches' fate as well. And I'm sure people like Bertie Votes and Craig Levine know better than most about these types of things as well. So I think... Yeah, ultimately, for the nation, qualifying for a major tournament was probably the only goal for any manager coming in was to make sure that we try and achieve that. And if it wasn't to be, then obviously I had to look elsewhere to see if somebody else would maybe be better suited for trying to do these things. So I think, as I said earlier, you always feel that sense of responsibility when coaches and managers lose their position at any club or international level. Were you involved um, at the tail end of 2012 when we were... Uh, against Wales and there was the contentious game that we had when Gareth Bale scored that double. Were you, were you involved in that squad? Yeah, I'm sure I was on the bench um, for those two games. I was actually probably quite glad that we trained at Morton during that week and I twisted my ankle a little bit and I was like, ooh, I don't don't feel overly comfortable. But yeah, I do do this thing. I've been down at um, sure it was Cardiff Stadium at the time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And, yeah, sort of these bits where you need things to go your way, and obviously didn't on those occasions. Yeah, that was uh, we had a goal ruled out. I think it was I judged that the ball had crossed the byline on the cross before yep. it was put in, and it, I think replay showed that that didn't happen. And then they got the controversial penalty as well. Um, yeah, it was it was it was things like that that just I suppose they've mounted up, um, and the result was the most important thing, and and that really made. It pretty much impossible for us to to try and overcome Belgium and Croatia um, and Serbia and Wales. It was a tough group, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think when you talk, I remember being away in Belgium as well, and I'm sure I was on the bench that night. And you just when you watch teams at that level, they're just a different animal altogether. And obviously they've gone on to great things as well. But you just really difficult in terms of if you don't qualify for a major tournament in terms of the pot that you're in level of opposition you're going to play against it always makes it harder and when you have to kind of do something extraordinary to get out of these types of scenarios or situations as well so yes it's not something that was lost in the group or the players but yeah it's just one of these things where you find it really hard you're going to have to do something extraordinary to qualify well Gordon Strachan came in he was very much the the popular choice at that time you played 90 minutes in his first game which is a friendly against Estonia at Petodre. Did you realise that that would be your last cap? Not during the game, but after the game, the manager said something. I was like, oh, that's ringing a bit of a bell. So not he said, I think after the game, he'd said, 
oh, I didn't realise you were that good. Now, I get that Gordon's got that kind of quirky, sarcastic type of approach to him, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I just thought, hmm, something didn't ring through there. But um, no, it was absolutely fine. I think, um, yeah, that night was a great night. I think Charlie'd scored that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think that, you know, you're probably coming to the end of something as well. And probably there again, it's another transitional period for the for the manager and the squad as well. So I think to be fair to the manager, which he was great with me, um, because I hadn't had a club during that summer as well. I'd only just arrived commentary in Scotland, played England down at Wembley as well, and he and he got me involved. I was on the bench as well, which was great because he didn't have to. Um, so I'm really respectful of that as well, and had a had a respectable conversation with him after. Um, I think when he was going to announce the next squad, I spoke to him on the phone. He said that we were going in a different direction. I was absolutely fine. Um, and I respected that decision from him. And um, yeah, the courtesy of being able to like phoning me up and just saying as well, because it's funny, living down Warwick Way as well, where he's from, I bumped into him on a few occasions as well because his grandson played in the same team as my son as well. So every so often I would bump into him at the football as well. So, you know, I was always I was always grateful for the manner in which he handled um, that, which, yeah, was, as I say, was respectful and, and courteous. So, no, I th- I th- it was good. Not good finishing your international football career, but the manner in which he did it was was, was very good. Yeah, totally. Uh, we'll finish off with uh, a couple of kind of quick questions. Try not to think too long about your answer. See what comes to you with, with instinct. So, I'll ask you, who was the, the most talented or blessed Scotland teammate you played with? James McFadden. Okay. The, uh, yeah. It's not it's not a, an uncommon answer, that one. <laughs> uh, who was the, the toughest striker you faced? Raul. Okay. Um, your most memorable moment on the park for Scotland? Probably Italy, Germany or a 25th cap. Right, the the most memorable moment off it, and this might be difficult to answer quick fire, but any particular funny memories jump out at you from training camps or anything? I always remember Stephen Thompson when we were playing away in Italy. We did rondos the night before, and I think he got megged about nine times in one single box, which is an absolute <laughs> record. <laughs> and uh, also the favourite Scotland manager that you you worked under. Oh. Probably grateful to them all. Barry votes for getting me involved. Walter Smith, a top, top manager, and Craig Levine for getting me back involved as well. So, no, I think I, I, I appreciate, I genuinely appreciate being given an opportunity from, from all the coaching staff. So, that's a difficult, that's a difficult one to <laughs> kind of decipher between. All right. Well, that, uh, that's everything, Andy. Good chat. Um, it's, it's quite weird thinking that, you know, you get your debut back in 2003 and your, your career spanned a decade with Scotland considering Levine got you back involved yeah no. it is what it is you take these things as they come you do your best and, and hopefully it's good enough so no, I'm unbelievably proud of having been able to play for my country is something that I'll, uh, I'll always fondly look back on brilliant cheers thanks very much thank you Sports Social Podcast Network